silence. Now, don't get offended. That wasn't a command to be silent, but I, here's where I want us to begin. Considering, imagining, silence. Seemingly silence. Seemingly darkness. Waiting. And there's no news. We're wondering... And there's still no news in this seemingly silence. Is God still with us? Will he fulfill his promises? Waiting. Yeah, silence, or at least seemingly so. Does this, does this mean that we are to be hopeless? What's the deal with this period of waiting, of silence? Silence. We'll bounce back and forth to that thought and you'll see why I had a start there. Um, but we are beginning this morning a new teaching series called Son of the Most High, and this morning is uh, week one of our journey through the gospel according to Luke. So I hope you have your Bibles with you, uh, or uh, a device that you can grab open into a Bible app and find your way to the gospel according to Luke, the book of Luke in your Bibles. Turn there with me, and uh, we'll be ready to jump in in just a couple of moments at chapter one. And while you turn there, let me say good morning, church family. Good morning. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are glad that you are with us. And uh, I'm pretty excitable all the time, but I'm pretty excited to get started with the Gospel of Luke, to study uh, and, and learn from the life of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the miracles and the teachings of Jesus, who Jesus hung out with, what was important to him, what did he proclaim and that's going to be an awesome opportunity we have studying the Gospel of Luke starting now. And starting now is pretty good timing, because guess where we're going to be when it comes to Christmas Eve? The birth of Jesus. Imagine that. It's almost like we planned it or something. We're starting our journey through Luke. So, a couple of uh, questions for you. When you think of, um, and this is not a quiz, some of you are going to be familiar with this and some of you are not, and that's not a problem, okay? If, when you think of the New Testament portion of your Bible and you think of who, what human authors wrote a lot of the New Testament portion of your Bible, who comes to mind? Paul. I heard a few said Paul, and that would be correct in terms of the number of books in your New Testament. And, and what's interesting, though, is Luke is actually the author of more words, more content in the New Testament than any other one human author that God worked through to write the Bible. And what's really fun about Luke, now see, I'm not an English major, I'm not a literary crit critique, crit it, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> but those of you that are, uh, you might be interested to know that, it, now of course this was not written in English, it was written in, in, uh, in Greek originally, but 
um, scholars find the Gospel of Luke to be of really high literary quality, excellent writing. And so, because I said Luke wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else, Luke, uh, his gospel, now what do I mean by the word gospel? Which books of the Bible do we call gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The four books at the beginning of your New Testament we refer to as the gospels because they tell about the life of Jesus. And uh, the longest of the gospels is Luke. And Luke not only wrote Luke, but Luke also wrote the book of Acts, And so not only do we have Luke teaching at God, teaching us through Luke a lot about Jesus, but we have him teaching us about the spread of the early church, as Pastor Matt was saying just a few minutes ago, of the book of Acts teaching us about how the word of Jesus spread and how early churches began and to spread the message of Jesus throughout the world. And so a lot of this we have from God through the pen to paper of Dr. Luke. So let's start with Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, just as they have delivered this information to us, it seemed good to me also. So who's the me? We've already said it. The me here is Dr. Luke. Why do we say Dr. Luke? Because uh, history and, and it indicates that he was a medical doctor, a physician. And, and we know that he was likely a Gentile Christian. What does that mean? A non-Jewish Christian. And this is significant. We'll, we'll talk about it a little bit here in a couple minutes, but it's significant to note that, uh, that Luke was a believer in Jesus, but not uh, from the family of God, Israel. Not for, uh, 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 he was a non-Jewish believer. And that'll be significant for some reasons we'll see in a minute, but also as we continue through Luke in the coming weeks. So what did, what did Luke say there in verse 2? He said, you know, there were other people that were eyewitnesses. And they have passed along to us what they saw and heard from Jesus. And he's indicating to us that I am not an eyewitness to these gospel events. A lot of what I've recorded here about Jesus' life and ministry, I am not eyewitness to. But what we know about Luke is that he was a companion, a fellow traveler with Paul. Paul the apostle, the one to whom Jesus appeared live in person to Paul and taught Paul, and Paul became one of the original, uh, one of these original apostles to spread the word of Jesus and, and begin the early church. And so, because Luke was a, a com- traveling companion of Paul, uh, that's kind of his main source, so to speak, along with other sources that Luke was intentional to pursue and find and pass along. And so, the fact that he was a, tra- a fellow traveler with Paul gives the Gospel of Luke. Some, some authority, some, some apostolic weight, because Paul is behind it as well. Some trustworthiness. So let's keep going. Verse 3 said, so Luke says, it seemed good to me also, having followed, in other words, I have followed these, these events, I have investigated them, I have followed all these things closely for some time past, and now I want to write an orderly account for you. And this is significant because Luke's a, a careful historian. Uh, scholars that have studied this book and studied history and studied the rest of the Bible can see that Luke is a careful 
historian, theologically accurate with his writings, pastoral, his pastoral heart, his, his shepherding heart to help people follow Jesus comes through, and uh, his, his desire for historical accuracy. So Luke is a careful historian. And he says here, I want to write an orderly account for you. I want to relate these incredible events of Jesus, his life and his death and his resurrection, his teachings and his miracles. I want to relate these things to you in a, in a logical way, in a helpful way. And so I'm going, to, I'm going to arrange things by topic and I'm going to teach you about God through his son Jesus. That's what Dr. Luke sets out to do. Are we ready to hear from Dr. Luke? Yeah. And I want to say more than that, though. We've said that God gives us the Bible through human authors. And now let's add this. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God. Or we could say all scripture is God-breathed. The scriptures as we have them in written form in our Bibles um, have tremendous scholarly historical accuracy and, and, and historians and passed down carefully and good human reasons to trust this book. But even more so, I would say that it reminds us that we believe that scripture is breathed out by God that the men who put pen to paper, so to speak, were carried along by the Holy Spirit, God himself. That what we get here is what God wanted us to get here. Are you with me on that? If you, and and I'm, we're not taking a ton of time on this right now this morning, but if you could use a resource, um, if this is an area of interest to you, how did we get the Bible? Where did it come from? Why should I trust it? What has happened in the, in the centuries and 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 decades since it was written to be passed along carefully. One very simple resource is this little booklet called Why Trust the Bible. It's in the lobby on our literature rack. If that's a topic of interest to you, where did this come from? God has You think, man, there's lots of authors. It was written in lots of different places over many different years. Is it, what's the deal with this book? And I want you to be encouraged this morning that the Bible is one big God story. It might seem like a random collection at times, but from, but from cover to cover, from front to back, from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is, is one big God story about God at work in the world to rescue a people for himself, to, re to reconcile you and I, sinful, broken, hurting you and I, to rescue us and to reconcile us with a holy and perfect God, to put sinful people like you and I in relationship with the awesome God creator of the universe. The Bible is one big God story of God reconciling a people to himself through... The Messiah, the Old Testament portion of your Bible, the first two-thirds of your Bible in particular, unfold God's plan by promising a coming Messiah, this promised rescuer who would come and rescue and set things right. And so I want you to turn with me, if you would, take a left in your Bible, uh, two or three books, go to the last book of the Old Testament portion of your book. It's called Malachi. 
I believe some silly speakers I've heard have called him the Italian philosopher Malachi. <laughs> I don't know about all that. Turn to the last book of your Old Testament. It's called Malachi. This is the kind of the last book of the Old Testament time of Scripture of God's working in his people Israel, promising a coming rescuer. And Malachi was one of many prophets that declared to God's people about the coming Messiah. Now, take a right in your Bible to the first book of the New Testament, Matthew. How many pages does it take you to get there? Many of you, one, two, right? If you have a study Bible, like me, there's like 40 pages in between, but that's not actually Bible. So I'm talking about from the last words of Malachi to the first words of, of Matthew. How much, space, how, much time, how much space in your Bible goes by? Not much, right? Not much. But here's the experience of God's people. Silence. In what just took you one page to turn, God's people thought they were experiencing silence for 400 years between the words of God's last prophet Malachi in the Old Testament to the events of the New Testament that we're about to get to in the Gospel according to Luke. What God's people experienced observed, felt like 400 years of silence, of waiting, of wondering, is God still with us? Will he fulfill his promises? Now we, in retrospect, know, was God at work? Was he there? So imagine 400 years of silence, of seemingly silence, and of waiting, and of wondering. Father in heaven, as we begin our journey through Luke here now this morning, we need you to be our teacher. God, I pray that you would have your way in me this morning, and that you would have your way in everyone here, in my church family that is here and that is home God, would you, would you just open our hearts and minds to hear from you this morning? And God, I pray that we would not come away from your word unchanged, that we would not go through a religious exercise, but that we would lift our eyes to you and hear from you through your word, that you would continue to work in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. I'm going to keep reading, and I'm only going to comment briefly here as we go through the rest of this passage, but I'll say here this. Again, Luke, the careful historian, note where he starts us. He starts us in a distinct, real-life, true-to-life True to history, historical setting. This is not make-believe. That's how strongly I feel about the scriptures. This is true historical 
reality, the gospel good news, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And Luke, the careful historian, yes, carried along by God, but also making note for us that this was a distinct historical setting. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statues of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. From a, from a human perspective, perhaps a seemingly hopeless and impossible situation. Verse 8. Now, while he was serving, while Zechariah was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, Zechariah was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude, the family of God, of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. This is a huge moment in Zechariah's career. I, I don't think without some historical understanding, without some Old Testament understanding, we would not realize that this might be the biggest day of Zechariah's life. This is, this is an incredible um, timing on God's part. For God to, to begin moving among his people, he picks Zechariah and he picks this incredible moment in Zechariah's career because a priest only officiated at the sacrifice in the temple once in a lifetime. And this is Zechariah's day. And not only that, but what's happening, what, what's the setting of Zechariah's big day? We see that it's a time designated for prayer. We see that it's a time where there's going to be uh, uh, sacrifices made, an offering made. It's, it's, so what's happening here at the temple of God is, is worship. It's a time of worship, and it's a time of God's people praying outside, and it's a time of people through the priest offering sacrifices to God. Why? Because they're aware of their need. People come to the temple and offer sacrifices through the priest because they're aware of their need. They need, they need forgiveness. They need cleansing. What a fitting time for God to begin working in a new way. What an awesome time, what awesome timing on God's part. Speaking of him working, what does he do? Verse 11, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Wait, read that again. Verse 11, and there appeared to Zechariah an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. I hope this is relatable for us. Because we might like to think that if an angel appeared next to us, we would be glad to see him. Or we could realize that probably more likely, we may experience an angel showing up next to us the way Zechariah did and respond unsurprisingly in terror. Verse 13. But the angel said to Zechariah, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now, remember, don't get confused yet. Sometimes I said it's almost Christmas time. We're, gonna leave. We're not talking about baby Jesus yet, right? This is Zechariah and Elizabeth. 
The angel appearing to, we, we know the story and then we know there's more angels and we know there's more babies being born, but we're not there yet. And now I lost my place. There we go. And you shall call his name John. Here's one thing that I think is super fun to think about here as you, as you read these words. I was reminded of this by the scholars and the studies I did this week. Um, the language here in this story, the way that Luke relates this story is very similar language to old, other Old Testament appearances of angels, other Old Testament birth announcements. Perhaps you've already been reminded of the story like of Abraham and Sarah who were advanced in years and without child, right? So, so Luke is telling this story and, and he's using very similar Old Testament language. And what that is, is it's an indicator that God has picked up the story again. Remember the 400 years of silence? Remember wondering and waiting and wondering where God went? It's like Luke uses the same kind of language as the Old Testament to go, hey, God's active again. Listen up. The story's beginning. Or the story is, I should say, resuming. Because this is one big God story. Right? Okay? So the big God story of the Bible has resumed. So what does this coming soon baby boy that will be named John have to do with it all? Let's see. Verse 14. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Uh, a couple of quick things. In his, in his mother's womb, John is referred to as a person. That is always true. Because life begins at conception. What's, what's not, that, that is always true. What's not always true, what's not the norm about this story, is that before his earthly birth, from the womb, this John will have the Holy Spirit of God on him. We believe and teach from our studies of Scripture what our experience today as followers of Jesus is, what we believe the Bible teaches, is that we are regenerated, we are brought out of darkness and into the light, we are brought out of death and into new life when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. That is the way we are saved. And at the moment of our regeneration, when our heart has been changed from our old self to a being transformed follower of Jesus, we believe and teach that you as a follower of Jesus receive the Holy Spirit on you at that point, at your regeneration. Once you have put your trust in Christ. Everybody with me on that? Okay, so what's not normal about this circumstance is, he's there, is the angel is saying, this kid, John, the Holy Spirit will be upon him. This is a work of God. This means that John has a, a, a special place in God's unfolding plan. Verse 16, and John will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And John will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. John will go before the Lord to make ready a people who are prepared to receive the Messiah, the promised rescuer is coming, and John is going to get to pave the way. That's what the angel says. 
So let's go back to verse 13 for a second, just because I want to ponder this. Do you remember in verse 13, it says that uh, the angel says to Zechariah, your prayer has been heard? Think for a minute, what do you think Zechariah was praying for? Just think for a second. What might have Zechariah and Elizabeth been praying for? I think the way the, the, the story tells, we, we could think, well, they were praying for a baby. But I want us to pause for a second and go, were they? Or, or were they past that? Maybe they were. It was a hard, difficult situation. From a human perspective, it was a seemingly impossible, hopeless situation, being without child and being advanced in years. What did Zechariah go into the temple and pray for? The people outside were praying. He was bringing an offering on behalf of the people, recognizing that the people needed to be cleansed from their sin. Maybe Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayer was not so much about their baby, but about God rescuing his people. And you know what? God's answer is all the above. I'm going to bless you by giving you a son, and your son is the beginning of God's awesome, unfolding, rescuing plan among his people. How's that for an answer? I wish I could tell you, church family, that God would answer all your requests. I wish I could tell you that if you came asking for a baby or, or a reconcil reconciliation in a broken relationship or a job or a financial help, I wish I could tell you the answer would be yes. I can't. But when we pray for God to rescue his people, to forgive, to transform us into new people, he answers that every time. And his plans are good. And your prayers may not be answered in the now, but they'll be answered in, in, in the perfection of eternity of life with Christ. So what do we pray for? Do we pray for God's will, his salvation, his transformation, we can pray for our own desires, but let's also make sure that we're submitted to God bigger picture, seeking his will, his direction, his glory. Verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? How shall I know that we're going to have a baby? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Hmm. Is this the reaction that we would hope for? Is this what our reaction would be to an angel saying a baby was coming? Zechariah kind of questions things. Zechariah asks for a sign. He kind of wants proof of what the angel is predicting. Uh... Okay, Mr. Angel, how do I know this is going to happen? Verse 19, and the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent 
and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. One of the commentators I studied this week said, the angel is basically saying, shut up for a while and watch God work. Silence. Be quiet for a while and see what God does. Verse 21. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them, but he remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. So where are we at? Where are we at this morning? Big picture as we think about this first chunk of scripture in, 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 the, in the gospel according to Luke. Remember, God at work in the Old Testament promising the coming Messiah, promising the rescuer would, would come to his people. And then what? And then 400 years waiting, wondering, is God still with us? And then God resumes his active involvement. God resumes his active involvement. An angel shows up. An angel says, what's going to happen? Declares that a baby is coming. And church family with an angel from God declaring what will be, what then happens. Verse 24. And these days his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Church family, God keeps his promises. What God says, he will do. Even when our circumstances or even when our version of what should be or way things should go, even when our circumstances suggest otherwise, even when we experience seeming silence, even when the answer to our prayerful wishes is no, church family, you got to know that God keeps his promises. What God says, he will do. What seems impossible to us is so easy for our great God. That seemingly impossible, hopeless human situation was no match for God's power. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up, and as the worship team comes up to get ready to lead us in singing, I want to invite them to come to the table and take the elements in preparation for the Lord's Supper, and then I'll give instructions to the rest of you. I want the worship team this time to feel free to take the elements as you head up. You got them? Oh, they got them already. You guys are so on top of it. That's awesome. The worship team gets to be with us in the Lord's Supper today in a couple minutes. Sometimes they are leading and not getting to participate with us. Um, and here's what I need for, for the rest of you to help me. I changed this just this morning. I want to do things a bit different this morning, and so I need your help. Uh, we are not going to pass out the elements to you. Uh, I am going to need your help to come and get them. But here's what I'm asking. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, if you have 
given your life to Christ and, are, and, and consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you are invited to the table to share in the Lord's Supper with other believers this morning. And what you'll do in a moment when I say so is come and get the, uh, the cracker and the juice. And uh, what I'd like you to do is take it back to your seat with you and hold it and wait together so that we can take it together. And, um, so, and, and I'm going to invite us to do this in the next couple of minutes in silence.